my mother amazes me as I talk to her because she keeps uh, praising the Lord in the midst of all the things that have happened. And her story is all about Jesus. My father's story was all about Jesus. And when your life is about Jesus, even when death comes and separation comes and heartache comes, you still have lots to rejoice about. And so she's rejoicing in the Lord and praising him. Thank you for all of you who have asked about her. If I can have a word with our internet worshipers, you receive this service every Sunday because of the faithful labors of Mark Warner, who is our television coordinator. And he lost his father this week. I knew you would want to know. And we are praying for Mark and Trudy. And I'll be attending that service today. Uh, but we're grateful for his, his uh, work in this church through these many years of helping carry the gospel uh, by television, radio, and our video and web broadcasts. We've already had the text read. It is the calling of the disciples from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. So if you want to turn over there, you can follow along as I kind of work through that passage. Next week, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite events in the New Testament... It is the miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And I don't know how you can talk about the social interactions of Jesus, how Jesus handles himself in the presence of people without going to this uh, setting where he is at the wedding and the wedding reception. And things happen and he is drawn into the center of things there at that wedding. So I'm going to be addressing that and talking about it next week. And what I'm doing is working my way through events and teachings in the life of Jesus that help us understand how we connect to people uh, intentionally, how we build circles, how we join them, and how God uses those relationships and interactions to carry the gospel. Somebody called them the bridges of God, that the way the gospel travels is along these bridges, and we build the bridges intentionally. And really, we're looking for how Jesus operates when he is in a social setting so that we might learn from him our own style in the world. Lord, how should we be in this world? It's perplexing sometimes. It's difficult to know. And we have these various events that are hard to sometimes process as believers. Sometimes we wonder, what is our responsibility in our community? So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at social networking, join the good news conversation, and seeking to learn from Jesus the Savior about how we might appropriately and profitably, for the kingdom's sake, interact in our world. Life changes on you. It happened to Jesus. It happens to us. His dear friend and relative, John the Baptist, is imprisoned by Herod. We read it. It's the introductory clause to the sentence in the NIV. And we pass right on by. But not Jesus. 
For Jesus, this is a watershed moment in his life. It's a moment of inner reflection. Contemplated his own position and call in the world. And according to the gospel writers, it is when this disturbance occurs with John the Baptist, this disturbance in the social setting of Jesus, that he steps onto the public stage and begins his public ministry. Maybe changes have happened to you. Life brings them. Sometimes they're disturbing. We don't understand why they've happened. If you have suffered through a change, maybe reluctantly, maybe it's a change like Jesus experienced with the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Maybe he knew John wasn't going to get out of prison. Maybe he knew in his heart that this was the beginning of of the end for his beloved cousin. If change like that has happened to you, I want you to think this morning about the new initiative in your life that God is calling you to. What new thing does God want to do in your life in response to this change that has occurred, maybe not at your invitation, but suddenly here it is. Because when life changes on you, there are opportunities for advance of the kingdom. Opportunities for you to make a difference in your world. To be significant in the lives of others. Your network offers these opportunities. And I want to talk to you a little bit now about the network. John the Baptist had a network. He had disciples who gathered around him as he was preaching there at the Jordan. We learn about those disciples going on through not only the Gospels, but also even in the book of Acts. Jesus followed that pattern. He called people unto himself. He developed a network. Now, this is so fundamental, it's easy to miss. And it's fundamental for your life, not just for Jesus and James and John and Peter and Andrew. It's also fundamental for you. Because networks offer opportunities for the gospel. Jesus comes proclaiming. The the opportunity of communication is there in your network. And Jesus knew that. So as he developed these networks, as he put people together, he was communicating along those bridges. There's an opportunity to expand your influence through the network. You think, oh, my influence doesn't need to be in the world. Wrong. The world needs your influence. If you are redeemed and washed in the blood, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if your intentions are to express the love of God to the world, then the world needs your influence. Don't you dare sit back. And rob this planet of the gifts God has given you. The message he has given you. There comes a time in your life when you need to step up 
and say, all right, Lord, here I am. How do you want to multiply what you have done in my life in the lives of others? That question needs to be asked by many of you this morning. You don't need to live in isolation without significant connections. And the network offers the opportunity for your influence to go further. You know, there's a way that the network Jesus builds becomes the future manifestation of his work. He secures, in fact, a place for the gospel in succeeding generations through the network that he builds so that his influence is not only there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. His influence moves out until those ripples go around the planet because he paid attention when life's disruption came. And he stepped out to do what he knew God was calling him to do. And he built networks of relationships through which he communicated, expanded his influence, and developed a sense of urgency among people of his day. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is time now to repent and believe the gospel. Nothing really happens in the human family until we develop a sense of urgency about it. When we don't have that, we just float along and let things be as they may. I think about our own city. I don't know about you. But after the carnage of this last week, I'm thinking, oh, God, what do you want your church to do? What are you calling us to do in this city? The violence is on our doorstep as a community of faith. I hope you have in your heart this sense of, God, what can I do? Because there's something you can do and you must do. And the burden is upon you as a member of this community and the community of faith of which you are a part. It is not somebody else's problem, the blood that runs in these streets. It is our problem. On Tuesday morning, I'm going to go and have breakfast with Ronald Surpass our chief of police. There are about a dozen clergymen who are getting together. I want you to be praying. I want you to pray, God, help that meeting to be significant in the lives of people that you love in New Orleans who are dying and killing. That your name might be glorified. God, do, do something through your church, through your people. Your network offers opportunities for the gospel. Now, success requires understanding. So, let me just take a look at the team Jesus built. And I am talking about a team when I look at James and John, Peter and Andrew. I mean, it's a team Jesus put together. And they're a powerful team. I've been part of, of great teams 
in my life, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. They had a big influence on me. I think the most important impact we make in the world sometimes is through our participation in a team. We saw two exciting teams play football yesterday. And we came to church a little bit down because San Francisco beat our saints, you know. Wasn't a high point. But the teams were fun to watch because they anticipate one another's moves. And Drew Brees knows when his receivers are going to break and he pitches that ball before they even turn. It's fun to watch. It's exciting to see. Well, God wants you to be part of a team. And God wants you building a team that will make a difference in your world for the kingdom. It's part of how you expand your influence and send out the message and carry the good news. Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, there's an interesting metaphor. Fishers of men. He's talking to people who drag nets through the water. The nets are designed solely to catch living creatures in the water and drag them out of the water. That's what the net is for. It's a trap. It's a way of snaring the fish. He's not talking really about one at a time so much as he's talking about groups. Because that's how net fishermen do their fishing. And so the word net work takes understanding to develop your network, seeing how it works. Jesus is going to turn our attention from the things we often pursue in life to the people he wants us to pursue. So if you follow Jesus now, you're going to have a human focus. You're going to be focused on people. People will be more important to you than things. People will be more important to you than rules. People will be of primary importance to you because you are a fisher of men. That's who you are. And everything you do in your life is going to point toward that goal, that purpose. You are not just meandering around the planet. You are seeking to draw men to the Savior. That's who you are. To have that understanding is very important. Sometimes we join networks. In a way, we do that when we join a church. You know, I think about myself being a fish, and it doesn't make me that happy. I'm not sure I want to be a fish. A fish in a school, a fish caught by somebody else. I'd rather do the fishing than be a fish. But first and foremost, I am indeed a fish that is caught by the great fisherman. I have been snared by the Lord who loves me. And I am his. He captured me. I have to renew that sense of being a fish day after day. You know, it's not just a one-time thing. It needs to happen in your heart day after day. 
Who am I in this world? What am I doing on this planet? That's right. I'm somebody the Lord Jesus has caught for his purposes and in his love. That's who I am. There's a kind of submission and humility that has to be part of your life to live this out. I mean, sometimes you want to bolt and do it your own way and go live off on an island somewhere and do your own thing. Sometimes we want to do that. We want to abandon the covenants and commitments that we've made. And we want to change directions and get off somewhere, peel off from the school, from the group. And so I find myself renewing my commitment day by day and saying, Lord, here I am again. This is messy me. This is slimy me. This is me with all my problems, all my shortcomings and my failures. Here I am, God. I'm making myself available today because I know I'm your fish. I'm captured in your net and I belong to you. So, God, here I am. And I discover that my unworthiness is not just a phenomenon of my initial entrance into the kingdom. I experience that. I come to Christ. I see his grace. He wants to save me. He died on the cross for me. And I think, what? You died for me? This mess? Initially, I respond with a sense of wonder that God loves me enough to save me and that I'm unworthy. And that that is a fundamental emotion and knowledge within us as we come to Christ. We're not worthy of this, of his grace. And you would think that the sense of unworthiness then passes by, but it doesn't. We still feel unworthy years after, after we've been captured. And we wake up in the morning thinking, God, can you use me? Part of the success of the network God intends for you to build is you being willing to submit in humility to your position before him as his child and servant every day. It is so fundamental. You join the network by saying, Lord, here I am. Here I am in New Orleans in 2012. And I've been wandering around, but here I am, God. I'm ready. I want to be used. I want to be an active part of what you're doing. So here I am. And then there's the building of a network. There's the joining a network, and there's the building of a network. And building a network now, that takes some work. Success requires not only our recognition of who we are, but then an intentionality about what we're going to do. And Jesus communicates that as he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, when you study the life of Jesus, there are two groups that immediately jump out at you. One of them is the raging, throbbing multitude, the tumultuous herd that surround him everywhere he goes. And they come because he wants them to. He is healing them. He is casting out demons. He is speaking like no man ever spoke before. The news of him travels around the land. Everybody hears and they all come. And you have this great crowd around Jesus everywhere he goes. They have 
all kinds of needs. They want something from him. Lord, my daughter is sick. Lord, my servant is sick. Can you heal him? Lord, I've got leprosy. Lord, that I might see. And thousands of them are crying out to him everywhere he goes. They are tugging at his robe. They are touching his shoulder. They're saying, say, can you help me? So there is the multitude so full of needs. By the way, stop, freeze frame that picture for a moment. Pull Jesus out of the middle and put yourself in. Put yourself in there. You know how that feels. Psychologically, in your mind at least, you know how it feels. The world is so full of want, so full of need. What difference can I make with this many thousands and millions of people crying out for help? What difference can I make? Don't you know, Jesus sometimes felt the overwhelming sense of need in his world. He worked and worked and healed and healed and touched and cared until he was so exhausted he had to get away somewhere to a solitary place and pray. Over and over again, Jesus withdrew from the tumult of the crowd just to be alone and by himself. And what Jesus wants to do with you, part of what he wants to do with you, is drop you into the throbbing need of the world. Because that's where he designed you to be and called you to be. And the difference you make is powerful, life-changing, and world-changing. There is that crowd. It's intentional. Jesus calls them, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. But there's another group, another network that he develops. Mark says of them that he called those that he wanted to be with him so that they might be with him, he says in Mark chapter 3. He called these so that they might be with him. And I thought about the Savior on the planet with this mission, knowing his sense of purpose in the world, and maybe at times feeling the isolation and the loneliness of it. And so, hey, James, Peter, Andrew, John, come be with me. And he said later on, I call you friends. I don't just call you students. I call you friends. And it is a moment of wonder and warmth. As Jesus says, you guys, come on. And there is a sense of being a peer among these guys. It's his, it's his family. These people are important to him. When he dies, he will say to his mother about one of them. Now, mother, John's going to be your son. And he'll make sure you're okay. And John, you're going to be her son, so you take care of her. As he is dying, it is important to him, these people that he's called to himself. Don't live in isolation in the world. Just don't do it. You don't have to. You say, well, I don't have the personality to connect to people. 
Well, even if it's hard work, it's work that needs to be done in your life. Even if it's difficult for you to converse with others and have a natural sense of relationship, you need to do it. God has called you not to be an island in the midst of humanity, but to build a network of relationships that sustain you and give you comfort, help you through the hard times, and also that expand what he's seeking to do through you. So even if it's hard work, I want you to think about, Lord, how can I do this? Teach me how to do it, how to connect, how to, how to join with others, how to build the relationships. Those two groups, the great sea full of fish and this small circle of friends are a picture of what Jesus once done in his world. He calls these friends so that he can be with them and so that he can send them out. Now, I want to pause for a moment and ask you another question, okay? Think about these two groups. The large crowd so full of needs. Jesus, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? There were ten of them that hollered at him once and said, Jesus, Jesus, we got leprosy. Can you heal us? And he healed them. While they were walking away, they were healed. And one of them turned around and went back to give him thanks. And he said, didn't I heal ten of you? Where are the other nine? If you're expecting a thank you from the throng of people with needs, you're going to have to find some other motivation for doing your good work. All right? Jesus did it because he was sent into the world to do the work of the Father and the will of the Father, and his food was to do that work. It's what he lived on. They should have said thank you to him. There's the crowd that says, Jesus, I got a need. And there's a small group that says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to learn who you are and carry forward your message in the world. Which group are you in? Which group are you in? Does God hear from you when your marriage falls apart? That after things get patched back together, you sort of disappear? Does God hear from you when you've got big problems? Oh, Lord, here I am. Please help me. And after that, where's John? Oh, he's gone back to his normal routine, you know. He's gone now. Which group are you in? Are you the group that's just got something you want from Jesus, tugging on his sleeve? Are you one of the guys that wants to make eye contact and say, Jesus, what do you got for me? What do you want me doing in the world? I want to be your friend. I want to walk with you. I'm calling now everybody from the first group into the second. Because it is the small group of friends with the close connections who carry the message that changes the world. You say, well, I've tried that where I have a few folks that I'm investing my life in and 
you know, they just wander off and go their own way. It's not very profitable. Think about Jesus. He calls 12 people to be his friends, to spend time with him, to spend three years with him. Well, what happened to Judas? He's gone. Have you heard anything about what Bartholomew did after the resurrection? How about Thomas? James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon the Zealot. Do you know anything about these guys? When you really think about it, there's Peter. There's John. There's James. There's Matthew. Maybe a third, less than a half, who are part of the historical record of the expansion of the gospel. And that's Jesus, the perfect Savior, calling his 12. We don't judge our success necessarily by how faithful everybody is. But we count on the Lord using us to inspire one or two or three to pull up close and tight and make a lifelong commitment to live for him in their world the world of business, the world of education, the world of politics. God, that you might use me to carry the message, the sense of urgency. Look, success includes catching fish. You got to cast the net. You got to cast the net. Have you been casting the net lately? Have you been saying to people, hey, uh, You know, Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you how it happened. Have you been seeking to draw people to the Savior? Is that your role? Is that something you've been doing? Have you been doing any net fishing? I hope so. Maybe you need to clean your net. Maybe it's not working too well. Sometimes we need to fix the net, mend the net, repair the net like these guys were doing here. Don't assume that your life is lived in such a way perpetually that you don't have to give attention to how you're operating in the world. That idea of mending the net, it's the Greek word katartizo. And it is used by Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to talk about when a brother falls away, you who are spiritual... Restore him. And it's the word mend him. It's the same word that's used here for mending the nets. Mend him. Paying attention to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Anybody here need restored? Anybody here need mending? Anybody here have a broken net, torn net? Jesus, the Savior sends his spirit to his church, to the worship, to help mend the nets. Let's bow together. Maybe your response to this message is to say, Lord Jesus, I want to build a network And along those bridges, communicate the good news.
and make a difference in my world. Share the love of Christ. I know I need to do it. Show me how. Maybe your response today is to commit yourself to this task in your own life. It is the moment for somebody in this room to step out as Jesus did in the turbulence of his setting onto a new initiative in your life. Lord, show us. Help us understand. Maybe there's somebody here who's been resisting being a fish. Your pride fights the idea that you want to be caught. You want to develop your own destiny, not link it to Jesus. And yet Jesus continues to call you. And his word to you is the same as that to James and John. Follow me. So maybe your response today is to come to one of our prayer counselors and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Lord, we pray that you will do your work in us through your Holy Spirit in this sacred moment. God, we open our hearts to hear your word, to hear your voice, to hear your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.